Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. And of course, here with me today is my friend and colleague, back from an extraordinary adventure again, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be back, and I can't believe this is our our first podcast recording, uh, while you've already had one without me. So uh, I'm excited to hear about that and, and also great to be back. It was hopefully you had a great break. I had a great break. Uh, I learned, uh, I read and I cooked, which was interesting. And uh, so glad to be back again, Derek. Terrific. Great to have you back. I've already tortured the audience by informing them that I've caught a big fish one over my holiday break. I won't do that too often again. Um, we missed you at the last uh, podcast. It was a great podcast. It was most fascinating discussing, um, you know, the Swiss um, investors and Swiss fund managers that are investing in this space um, with with Mark Seidel. So now, one thing that uh, we have recently coined, and we love coining terms on this um, show, is we've decided to coin the term fortune favours the informed. And this is what we're going to do, isn't it? And our job is to inform as much as possible through the year. And uh, and today we're starting with an, an extraordinary time you've had at Davos. Now, you know, I, I thought to myself uh, that really you attend sort of three lifetime amazing conferences at least every year. And this year you've attended Davos for the seventh time I've heard. So it's, I'm, I'm really keen to learn what makes Davos tick. Why is it sitting up there in the snow at minus 15 degrees Celsius? You know, <laughs> is, are there subsections of Davos? Um, you know, for the audience, we hear about this a bit in the press and the media, mostly very high level discussions, but, but really yeah. crypto bats well above its weight, doesn't it? In Davos, there's a lot of crypto discussions there. So, so, what was it like this year, Nitin? Yeah. So so I think Davos, I made that a staple of one of the events that I do. And I do a three or four good events every year. Uh, and some of them are small ones that I have to do it. And some of them are you do it to support your colleagues and, and the projects that you support. And Davos is interesting, Derek, because uh, to me, it's been going on for quite some time. I think it's 37 plus years or whatever. And it's always in winters. It's always in the town called Davos, which is about three hours from Zurich. A uh, small ski town, never designed for the kind of people it attracts, especially with crypto pouring towards Davos. And I've always defined a discern between the fact that you have the establishment, which are the financial institutions, the CEOs, mm. and then you have the anti-establishment, which is trying to displace every grain what the establishment stands for. And that, to <laughs> me, provides an interesting dichotomy of just the process of how the world is evolving around us. And I also learned an interesting fact. I'm like, you know, it's it was minus 15 so it's quite cold for most people 
And I I questioned to say why it was why is Davos always in January and January and February are two of the cool coldest months in the region around the year. And I was told that because the economic forum, which is the usual event that happens, and I think crypto has been uh, there for now seven years, which is the seven years that I've been going to Davos, uh, is primarily to uh, you know to dissuade. Uh, what these events attract is the protesters and folks who come in to protest against, you know, largely uh, the leadership of, you know, the politicians and CEOs who are making decisions and and having an impact. And it is an economic impact in many cases. Uh, and, you know, the moniker of economic forum has been to change, to improve the state of the world. Uh, and as we know that things have improved, but there are things that have also not gone great. And, and so having in winter, uh, makes it harder for many of these uh, individuals to protest. And you still have some share of those protesters. Uh, and I, I find the 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 mix of of those protesters somehow uh, not confusing crypto people and, and crypto people speak work very hard to make sure that they're they're with them, but they're they're protesting in their own little way to displace the financial system and to make it more accessible. And so it's just an interesting, uh, vein of thought, thought in that so, so they're, they're creating they're creating a weather moat around a highly topical event um that's right so that's quite a brilliant plan i i, I can imagine however <laughs> the nordic states being the ones that could survive that minus 15 degrees they just think it's a walk in the park for them they'd just be wandering around the place and but what an extraordinary thing to turn around and say if you want to come that's fine no trouble set up a tent but you won't survive a day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and it's it is like fortunately for me, I had gone to Antarctica last uh, December, so I was quite well equipped with shoes, and you know, and it gets hard, and you'll find these amazing folks with their suits and Italian shoes, really struggling to walk uh, because yes. of the ice on the road and the slopes that they have to cross to go from one tent or from one uh, location to another location. So it's it's quite hilarious. But one thing I would say, Derek, historically, I find high quality of people. These are founders, investors, leaders. Uh, in fact, you know, I hung out with Anthony Scaramucci for quite some time. There were some ministers mm-hmm. from uh, Switzerland, uh, MPs from, you know, Europe, uh, you know, European Union, and some of the ministers from India, from India House. So you find a good diversity of, and you get to actually have a conversation, which otherwise would, would be quite difficult given security and given the access to these folks. And all this is happening on a single street. So you can imagine wow. 8,000 people combined um, the normal economic forum crowd, which are by invitation and quite expensive to get into that circle. And then you have the crypto um, folks and and they're interested in knowing what we are doing because there's all kinds of messaging and it's curiosity that brings them to our set of the house to look into what crypto people are talking about. And, and we, of course, are curious and there are some open forums. So it, to me, I begin to now view this as a more intellectually stimulating event. And uh, the economic forum uh, entity that manages this are quite amicable too, uh, besides what you see in the news. I mean, they have shuttles in the night and it can get quite expensive and it, it's hard to find taxis in the night. So they have shuttles and they don't, you know, it's not only restricted to the economic forum badge holders, uh, if you are actually holding in a hotel badge, so your security clearance cleared, uh, they will give you the rides that you need in the night. So it's it's quite, you know, uh, they're quite open to that, uh, which of mm. course, uh, we mm. also contribute to the economy because 
we mm-hmm. there are eight thousand people and we're spending all kinds of money in, in you know in the we're spending ten thousand dollars plus per night in a hotel room the economy is highly contributed to hey nitin <laughs> tell course. me firstly you know what what is the sense what is the feeling of um davos this year versus last year both for just the yeah. general feeling and for for crypto and also give us a view of the landscape of davos just before we delve into what's happening with crypto, you know, how big is crypto within the landscape? Is it just one of the many, many subsets that are happening there? Um, those sort of things. So, yeah. So over to you. Yeah. No, no, it's absolutely great. And I think looked into uh, some open sessions that I could go to and some of the uh, programming that you could see from Wall Street journals and Financial Times and many of the media organizations who are organizing with uh, CEOs like Satya Nadella. I met IBM CEO, which the company that has to work for. Um, and so the general theme I would classify into a handful of normal economic uh, forum themes. One was looking into resiliency, right? And I think this is, again, coming from past two years of war and the resiliency of supply chain system impact on economy mm-hmm. and impact on jobs and pandemics. So there was a normal sense of how do you make the uh, to slow down the global disruption and what do companies and governments and entities need to prioritize to ensure resiliency in the systems per se, supply chain systems, healthcare systems? That is a that is quite a significant conversation on that. And second thing was, uh, you know, and this is the good old adage, right? Is you know, if you're looking into, um, you know, uh, the difference between resiliency and diversification, right? In the sense that if you want to have resiliency. Uh, you need to have diversified systems, and oftentimes you sacrifice resiliency for efficiency. So this tug of war between resiliency and efficiency, I think the focus this year was on on ensuring that you have diversification than decoupling. As you know, and this is not the crypto decoupling, but this is the decoupling of economy where you begin to see the rift between uh, at the geopolitical side between China, Russia, the the BRICS nation fighting for commodities, and we've had this conversation in terms of the price of commodities and global macro impacting the pricing of Bitcoin. But this is more towards not promoting decoupling, but going after diversification and looking into that no region is an island, and looking into what is the future of globalization. Because in the last two decades, the world has tried to become you know homogenized and erase mm. boundaries and that has changing again so i think the pendulum is swinging in the other direction and they're trying to have the balance so that there could be world peace and we could do more constructive things mm. uh, energy was a huge huge issue uh as rightly so you could still see al gore and his passionate plea and he was quite animated in that forum where he talked about mm. you know uh the net zero future how do we look into the balance between consuming energy that we need to grow and progress, but also uh, reducing the emissions, which is harming the planet in terms of you know temperature rising and the impact of that on health, displacement, physical damage to the environment and the property and the resulting economic impact. Um, there was a lot of DNI, uh, you know, which is diversity and inclusion, uh, was an interesting awake theme because there was no real concrete grounding to this theme to say, yeah, we need to have diverse workforce, which has been there, but there was no real, it was just there. It was lurking around, I think, and if at least from my vantage point. And then you had, of course, space and innovation, a lot of focus on space. What's interesting is when they talk about space, but Elon was not neither invited nor he applied to come, Elon Musk. And there are reasons, I think he's tweeted about the whole thing that he finds it incredibly boring and it's not his cup of tea. And he just chose not to go because he's just one of those rebellious uh, executives. Mm. 
but there was a lot of conversation on space economy and how it has the vast potential to change the world, not just from Mars, but the resulting technology that has potential to have better, cleaner energy. Nuclear energy was huge. Uh, mm. In fact, one of the sessions that we were at blockchain, um, you had uh, you had one of the film directors who came in and he actually was writing and it is Oliver Stone. I've actually got to sit in front of Oliver Stone and listen to him uh, talk about, you know, his focus on like, you know, nuclear energy is misunderstood and there's a fear yes. that's preventing from its usage. And it's a clean form of energy and we should focus on understanding the science behind it. And 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 so- And was there a discussion around um, fusion, which was, of course, is a big breakthrough in the last 12 months? Yes. Uh, in fact, there was an author who Oliver Stone brought with him uh, and he talked about some of the science of it and why we should focus on both fission and fusion and and the ability for us to be able to understand the technology and that maybe fusion, again, may be more constructive, uh, but it has a length of development and we can mm. look into building these and not rely upon, and these are immediate energy sources that we can um, that we can, and then again, you know, it also leads to the fact that you need enriched uranium, which could potentially be used for destructive purposes. There are a few of those conversations per se, but energy independence and not reliant upon fossil fuels was again in the same thematic element of energy and Very and good. and so it is. It is. Very I think good. it was quite constructive and interesting, extraordinary. So that's now the traditional. Intellectually, it must have been fascinating to be able to be there and attend that. So you're extraordinary. I could sleep lucky. for the whole week. Uh, I slept on the flight back. It was just uh, because you know you're up. And mm. I'll tell you one more thing, Derek, which I was an amazing mm. experience to you. Of course, the rooms, as you mentioned, were $13,000 average a night cool. uh, for a single room. And they weren't in a hotel room because it's a small town. So what many of these people did was they rented all the homes and uh, and they would, it, it has dorm-like capabilities where a room had three bunker beds and you had beds and you, it's like going back to college, which is great. Mm. Mm. Um, in some sentences, though I prefer to have some of my own bed and own bathrooms and everything <laughs> else that is great. But that aside... Uh, what transpired is after these sessions, of course, you would have these places you would go to, but then you would actually form a group in someone's hotel room or someone's dorm room. And you would have conversations until 2 a.m. in the morning on tokenomic systems or the impact of EVM for scalability and how one system is better than the other. So mm. you're always on. Mm. Uh, and it was not one of those things where you go to a conference and people are drinking and partying and the next day you have the droopy eyes. Mm. I could see a lot less of that. In fact, there were some, of course, it's still human, but most people took time to have these conversations as opposed to, to going to this, you know, and there were a few parties happening every day, as you know, there were parties happening till 4am, but people didn't take time to do that. People took time to actually, uh, at least, at least the people I was hanging out with. And so we learned a lot and we also mm. debated a lot of things, which is much needed debate, especially in this, in this times, I think. So crypto. Talk about the theme of what crypto is about. Obviously, 2022 was a year of, as we saw the contagion of the incompetence, as we named it, you named it earlier in the year. And what we also saw along the way is, is just a lot of a, a, an aggregated large amount of hacking. We saw the the, the reliance on stable coins. And we, we, of course, saw the large centralized finances collapse. Now, were they discussed at, at DevOps as... Um, as something to resolve or proof that crypto shouldn't exist? Uh, that's a great point. And yes, we did coin, both of us did on this on this very show. And uh, the 
you know, the uh, contagion of incompetence. In fact, I actually form a deck, which I think we'll discuss in the next show. What I what mm. I would like, what I would like to discuss uh, with the, the intention of this, what, the thematic element of this of of crypto DAOs, and that's a different set of DAOs on the same street. The street is called Promenade. Mm-hmm. Was uh, how do we restore order, and how do we restore bring competence people forward? Uh, to restore confidence in the space, right? And so what is the balanced perspective that we have to take risks, we get it. It's a new technology, new phenomenon, new economic systems. But how do we restore confidence after all that transpired in 2022? And I think, uh, and in my session, I had about four panels and one keynote. And in that session, I did ask people to venture a guess as to how much value was erased. And it's about $784 billion of value was erased in 2022. Uh, some of them was, of course, the 3AC, the Luna, and the, the faces behind these entities. But what's astounding, if you look at it, and we'll discuss this next week, of course, in quite detail, that a lion's share of these were rug pulls. These were hacks, and these were bag economic systems, ill-designed, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, and a lot of value was lost. And there's a cyclical, a vicious cycle when there's a negative news. It impacts the entire industry you lose value, there's another negative news and the cycle continues, the sell-off mm. in the industry. And so, and, and that collective value was one third of the entire crypto space was completely obliterated last year. And so we discussed that. The general theme, if I were to summarize in one sentence, and I think uh, Jamie Lair from, from Circle did a pretty good job to say, hey, we want to shift the narrative from being a speculative asset to a utility-based asset. That mm. Until now, everything was speculative asset from NFTs to any uh, bozo token that came on the on the street had a massive rise in value until it died. And, and you had the next one, people moved to the next one. And, and so we need to focus on utility. And we have, again, discussed here what gives token its value. What, what can we do to discern and define in our valuation mechanism at Portal Asset Management, as you know, is mm-hmm. what gives token its value. And we have devised, you know, eight factor, 36 factor models to understand this industry and look into what's momentum versus what's a long uh, sort of held belief behind these assets. So that's one thing, but there was a general sub themes of great reset. Let's rethink investment. Let's rethink founders. Let's rethink Mm. technology. Do we need, uh, and in that my context was, again, I personally believe that we need more investment infrastructure and so on and so forth. Then you had regulation, which was the fallout of all that had transpired last year, right? In terms of, and we can double click on any of these you like, uh, Derek. And, and the thing is that are we over-regulating this? And MICA came out and prior to this, MICA was still not a bill yet. We talked about 40 US bills and US going towards enforcement mm-hmm. action quite aggressively. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany influenced its own regulation even before MICA became a law. So we're looking into this as a, as a regulatory arbitrage problem where will this become a bookend issue and completely further destroy what could have been a better market and makes it, you know, is that great reset also a reset for regulation? A lot of conversation, a lot of conversation on stablecoin and CBDC for rightly so, because stablecoin was the highest traded token last year. Seven trillion, by the way, was traded on stable stable coins Mm -hmm. as a payment instrument. Uh, So of course, uh, Circle was right front and center amazing presence uh, they were going after. And I had dinner with Circle uh, and they had amazing hosting capabilities, real conversations, real talent. 
in discussing regulation, but also reminding the industry that, you know, they're there for a reason and they're doing all the things by the book and they haven't gotten any, you know, challenge from perspective. And there's a back to basics conversation of custodial wallets going, focusing on disintermediation, which means don't create more intermediaries and really focus on uh, collapsing the, those layers that exist in the financial system. And the general thinking was that fraud that transpired is like any other fraud. Bernie Madoff was compared to SBF. In fact, Bernie Madoff was 50 billion, SBF was uh, short of 10 billion. Um, and then data ownership and identity took center stage. So last year's NFT, this year there was very little comment in NFT and metaverse. In fact, nobody wanted to talk about metaverse at all. People were like, <laughs> okay, we are, we are completely distorting the industry. But then they said, hey, identity is a human right and we need to own our data uh, from that perspective. So I'll mm. pause here. Uh, these were sub-themes, which I think were, to me, I remember having this conversation seven years back. I think we are back to having this conversation again, which I think is quite pertinent in the times we live in. Yeah. Look, it's, it's just recently, yesterday, I posted on LinkedIn a discussion about re, rebranding the whole industry. How do you rebrand this industry? Now, that was inspired by our great friend and colleague, Michael Casey at Coindesk. And, of course. And... Michael put this this sort of theory out there, and I gave a, a whole lot of suggested names that it could be, and asked people to comment on it. But you know, this industry is called crypto. You know, it refers to it as the cryptocurrency industry. Well, we as a firm, Portal Asset Management, we we don't invest in currencies. Currencies are for trading, and so what we're focused on is utility tokens and and non fungible token security assets. These are the things we're we're interested in utilitarian aspects of it. And this industry, you know, the name is just wrong for a start. You know, the, the, the concept that this entire industry is a currency, despite the fact that these, you know, the, the, the nature of digital assets enables them to be transacted in such a way that you'd think it was a currency, they're not. And so the need for this to become a utilitarianly driven industry is really profound. It'd be nice that the industry itself recreates its name and is able to really talk about a name that better reflects what it's all about. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that, that is, I think, a really important part. You talk about this trillions of dollars worth of, of stable coins getting transacted. That's an interesting irony in itself, isn't it, Nitin? Because, True. you know, you reverse out of a sale of Ethereum and what do you reverse into? A stable coin. Stable you sit coin, in a stable right. coin and then you buy into the next. And then you reverse out of that into a stable coin. Hence the reason stable coins have such large volumes of utilization because they're sure. still the way human beings relate to it because they can still value something in units that are relevant to fiat currency. Now, in due course, that'll change. And maybe Generation C, Generation Crypto, will start looking at things and factoring it into a cost versus, versus a, a Bitcoin and their mind will start working as a Bitcoin fractionalization of a dollar. Um, and so we'll see that change. But these things do take time, but they're going to have to be driven at a high level. And I think that's where Davos plays a real role in it. And Davos plays a role in changing community views on th things. It changes a role in creating um, you know, better ways of um, hopefully countries working together in harmony. But certainly in this area of crypto, which seems to me to be disproportionately high uh, at Davos, considering you know it's a it's actually a very small industry, um, I, I I'm seeing that they see this as terribly important, um, and so I I think the quote that I enjoyed a lot was um, was I think it was a Barclay quote 
Um, and and that was when the fellow turned around and said that, you know, considering that cryptocurrencies will not exist is like betting on paper versus going towards computers. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, true. it's just so true. You just, you just, it's, it's madness. Yeah. So, so the very first thing, you know, one has to consider in this space is there's no doubt the cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, utility tokens, non-fungible tokens and security tokens will grow and be highly utilized and the future of commerce will be based upon them in some form or other, particularly the blockchain accounting system. It's just a yeah. matter of how and when we get there, right? Didn't True. And, you know, just to Michael Casey, I had a, again, I met him again, this becomes an annual meeting now, and I did convey your fellow Perth citizen or Perthian, yes. yes. who's a Perth, and I like, you know, hey, Derek says hi to you. And he was, he reciprocated that. And we had a great conversation nice. and I congratulated him on accomplishments that he's had because I think Coindesk and his team, actually, his whole team was there. I met uh, folks like Nikolesh Day and, and Ledesma and all these folks who actually read their articles. And I said, you know, you do a important service to the industry, not yes. only what they have done in, in surfacing uh, all the messaging around their own parent company, DCG, as as we have seen, but also FTX. And so to me, that is a, that's a really important part and bringing all those intellectual conversation forward. So I think it was a great, great catch up, uh, you know, with Michael. But I would say this, that that Switzerland... Davos, not just from a World Economic Forum perspective, but Davos, Switzerland has always been crypto friendly. The Zug claims itself mm. to be the crypto you know, sort of uh, town. You have Lugano, you have Lucerne, you have uh, Zurich. Uh, many of these sort of cities in Switzerland are competing to attract talent and attract capital around the world and making laws easier, making yes having a much clarity in regulation so i think there's a little bit of and that too and there's I, a solid yeah. number of funds there too in True, in switzerland exactly. um exactly. so you know talk about l1 is a large fund there venture capital fund and what's interesting about l1 is not just its size but the fact that it actually has pension pension funds in it it has government funds in it so so switzerland's able to bring to this space the sort of credibility and magnitude associated yeah. with how Swiss funds operate. Um, and from our point of view at Portal Asset Management, by the way, we're very focused on Switzerland. Most of our last half dozen investors have come from Switzerland. Um, so we see um, Switzerland as being a really important um, part of the ecosystem. And we, and we watch the attitude there. Yes, they're conservative, but they're also very wise. And they have long-term views. And I think that plays a role in their view of crypto, Nitin. No, I agree. And, and you know, I've had conversation again with Signum Bank and Bitcoin Suisse type entities who we've evaluated again, uh, you know, at Portal Asset Management yes. in terms of uh, their viability for providing fund admin functions. So I think, and, and, and I think the industry is maturing too, because I did find lion's share of dinners and cocktail hours hosted by these, you know, which was not the case last year. So a lot of VC firms, a lot of investment firms, a lot of pension funds actually mm. were hosting sort of dinners to understand and bring the minds together to have the conversation. Wow. Uh, and I've been to at least three or four of them. Of course, you can't go to so many dinners and it's a really small spaces. So it's not like having a sit down dinner. These are like canapes as form of dinners. Yeah. And But if food is secondary, right? You were trying to meet and rub shoulders and understand the industry's need. And I found there was genuine need for knowledge uh people didn't care what you did where you're from as long as you know of course we all have branding we've been in the industry for quite some time 
they were keen to know what you thought. They want to know your perspectives and they want to know why you have that perspective. Mm. It is not just data crunching. It's about, you know, uh, a idea and where do you get the ideas from and where they come from. And that to me is maturity, right? We're not simply mm. uh, just swaying, being swayed by a momentum or something that's happening. It's actually asking for opinions and going after the opinions and, and, you know, and we went to the historic Sea Off Hotel, uh, where a lot of conversation historically has happened during, you know, financial crisis, before financial crisis, looking into political, you know, what look into risk of politics in the industry. And this time I was part of a conversation uh, that is hosted by another uh, blockchain founders uh, fund, uh, which was looking into a founders capital rather, uh, which organized just 100 thought leaders in a room, just discussing as to where the industry is heading, what we should look into, who are the new players, do we have the right infrastructure, which I think was very, very powerful and very mm. uh, illuminating, I would say. And Nitin, where did that go? I mean, I know the, the answer to life, the universe and everything is 42. So I'm assuming that there's not a single <laughs> answer here, right? So, so where did that generally go? Um, you know, was, was it heavily leaning towards um, utilitarian tokens? Or was it heavily leaning towards just simply um, blockchain um, uh, um, validation solutions? Or was it leaning towards large economic changes and, and so, central business and CBDCs? So I think CBDC and stablecoin were have, should have its own category because they're truly trying <clears> to solve not just payment issues. And payments were center of mind for the general economic theory as well, because when velocity and when money and assets move easily around the world, then it makes just like information moves and basic thesis of, of value movement. I think I found a lot of conversation around infrastructure, and I actually was very vocal on that in many of my panels, uh, both in terms of the fact that if we are relying upon the same technology and same infrastructure, uh, this is the Web 3.0. And again, I've been focused to say Web 3.0 is not a fad. It's it's an evolutionary element and it's a 3.0. And it'll be a 4.0 mm. someday. It'll be 5.0 someday, like mm, everything mm, else. Mm. Metaverse, of course, is still quite fuzzy, even though I've taken time to understand it, but it's not exactly a household term and people always equate them to. And the thing is that infrastructure, meaning do we have the right pipes? Do we have the right in internet speeds to communicate the validation verification of the coordinated systems that blockchain is. Uh, impact of quantum, for example. And this is like two AM calls uh, as to what is the verification validation do we need? The chipsets, the, the five generation of ASIC chip that has developed for mining. Can we utilize that momentum to reduce the cost of energy that these systems consume? Um, these were really, really serious conversations today. Do we need more investment for us to be able to achieve the objectives we we're trying to achieve? So it's no longer just about a token launch conversation, which was the past few years to say, hey, this token does this, this economic system is bad. And we are thinking that, fine, you're doing all these things, but we do need a robust infrastructure to, yes. to find the verification validation system. Uh, those were very pertinent conversations. And then focusing back on tokenomics, uh, historical tokenomics was something that people needed to have, how many tokens you have, demand, supply, who consumes, who spends. I think now because of the rug pulls, it's a new industry that, in my opinion, that's emerging, which we'll go into detail next next uh, session, uh, Derek. Uh, because, you know, I spent some time researching to say, why haven't, in spite of having all these risk models, why were we not able to catch these risks? Yeah. These are serious conversations, I think, by investors and asking them the right questions. 
And so when you talk about infrastructure, you're really talking about physical infrastructure here, not necessarily software-driven infrastructure, such as layer one protocols or layer two protocols to resolve layer one protocol inadequacies or or, or zero knowledge proof. Um, You're really talking about the physical infrastructure, the pipes that are running this. Is that right? Right. And I consider layer one as infrastructure too, because they provide basic transaction system, but they, you know, for ZKPs or any of the family of, you know, zero knowledge or data obfuscation or privacy preservation, they need mm-hmm. a lot of compute capacity. And with existing systems, uh, we we begin to have holes, which has been exploited by many of the rock pulls that we have seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that who makes that infrastructure. And I'm all, I also want to include regulatory and compliance infrastructure because that is a legal framework. The countries we live in, they'll always, so it's it's not, it's not a right to assume that this will be a completely libertarian conversation. We will have government, we will have control, mm. we'll have police states, we'll have all these, you know, mm. laws and regulation in place. And f- coming from financial industry, coming from large corporation, I think, uh, the r- rules and regulation there to protect the investors and there to protect common users. And yes, they do have a burden of compliance and that's there for a reason. Uh, I include them as infrastructure as well. And yes. one of the, my, my my messaging was that while we have to invest in technology infrastructure, we also have to educate and ensure that we're not passing regulation that's hasty in reaction to FTX and Luna and only because that'll be a mistake uh, before the industry gets its chance to prove itself. Uh, so, so it has a balanced you know, perspective. You, you've talked about things like, um, you know, rug pulls, honeypot, you know, hidden mints, fake ownership, you know, all these sort of these areas that you've discussed, you know, around rug pulls and just, and just, you know, hacking frauds that have occurred in this. Very substantial. And that's, I think that really needs to be looked at as a second section. Sure. First section being, um, that of centralized finance fraud or good old-fashioned fraud, um, probably hastened, improved and 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 made at ease by virtue of how liquid um, digital assets are. But in this discussion, was this industry in Davos talking about those big centralized frauds and the hacking as um, as areas of um, sort of uh, embarrassment and um, and and something that the main infrastructure can constantly port, point to? Or is the industry looking at it, turning around and saying, we need to resolve this, and traditional infrastructure turning around and saying, yes, you do need to resolve it, but we're interested in seeing that resolved. Do you think there was a positive attitude towards resolving yeah. these major infrastructures from both crypto world and, and the world of traditional banking? That's a great question. In fact, I'll tell you, it's the latter. Uh, in fact, there was hardly any time that was spent on FTX and Luna and Terra. There was there's so much in news that which I was very pleased with because we've had yes, enough conversation yes. in the news and and it was more towards constructive conversation. No one talked about SBF or FTX or what happened with Luna or whatever. We were more talking about okay, how do we what are, what do we need to do to fix it? Right. What is the Excellent. where should we focus energy on two, three things and we're getting too distracted with, you know, NFTs and metaverse. And are we ready for NFT metaverse? If we're not ready for it, then let's understand what we need to do to ready be, you know, be ready for it. And my my pitch in that conversation in various sort of sessions and panels that I was a part of, in some cases, intently listening and absorbing, but also when I had opportunity to speak, is to again focus on the fact that, you know. We need to make that investment. Understand that you know we are we're not building sort of castles and foundation of sands. 
uh, we actually need to have a stronger foundation, which is resilient, again, thematic sense of and, and energy efficient. And we're building these things to make this world a better place, not to provide a speculative asset that can make the rich richer and make a few richer. It's really meant mm. to uplift the the entire world. That is the reason why many of us got into it. So I would say the latter, Derek, and which is yeah. to me was very positive. Very positive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that we can get some balanced reporting about pros and cons of this, as if it was more the computer evolution versus the currency evolution. Because if you look True. at the computer revolution in, you know, 1980, 90, you know, into the noughties, et cetera, the press and the media, the commentary around the space was so enthusiastic. Oh my gosh, we've gone from 286 to 386 to 486. You know, we've gone to quad dual <laughs> processors and quad processors. Isn't this extraordinary? You know, I can't wait to get the next whatever it is. And really that still stands with these extraordinary hardware tools we've got. And now with things like chat, PGPT, which uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying. It's a fascinating experience um, dealing with artificial intelligence. It's addictive. That's exactly right. Um, I want to actually bolt on a, um, a, a, a word recognition system so I can just shout at it and get, get, get an answer. Um, <laughs> it is quite extraordinary. There's a lot of positive talk about all that. Yet when it comes to crypto assets, cryptocurrencies and, and crypto securities and non-fungible tokens, there seems to be emotion attached to it that isn't attached to that of, of you know, the growth of computing power yeah. and the growth of these utilized tokens and sorry, utilized tools. And, and I think it's important that we recognize that. It's a lot of nonsense, in fact. Um, I wonder whether that emotion has been brought to it because money is attached to it, because these are Actually, fungible it's, assets. It's more retail and the individuals associated with it directly, though, chat gpt was a lot of conversation on chat gpt oh, and uh, ai did take center stage uh, during this in technology mm -hmm. conversations in fact when we discussed next week i did an experiment where i actually built a whole deck using chat gpt and it took me longer than i could have done this on myself because you need domain expertise you need to know what to consume mm. you have an idea so it's not replacing human mind anytime soon it is a great augmentation tool to look and research but i think if you want to do some meaningful work in terms of citing resources and doing these things, I don't think you can cite ChatGPT as a resource yet. Uh, you still need to go yes. back and looking into the context of you know what has been said, what has been. So I think, but it, nonetheless, it is pro progress, and I embrace progress any day. And ability for us to be able to. And the conversation again was, can we use ChatGPT Chat to start writing? Which people did. They wrote code. Can we use this to do? Mm. Uh, financial crimes analysis, uh, looking into, so there's a lot of conversation again, in terms of generative modeling, which is what this is, it's reinforcement learning, generative modeling, uh, you know, that, that, that is going into in chat GPT. But I think there are certainly exciting times, space, chat GPT, Ooh. it's all happening Ooh. around the same time. And every, and all of the systems need an amazing amount of energy. And it, it all Ooh. boils down to the conversation we've been having all year long, of course, commodities and energy and wars being fought. Uh, there's a lot happening for an average person to consume and make sense of it. Yes. And these but events can I ask help you us this, connect the dots. This question, I mean, you know, it's a bit rhetorical, I've got to say. But could you imagine artificial intelligence in full operation? Um, could you imagine, um, you know, digitization and communication between nations in full operation? And could you imagine all of that happening 
without crypto assets and without blockchain in the future. Imagine banks still transferring things on SWIFT tokens. Oh my gosh, could you imagine the Americans still writing checks? You know, this just, this is not going to happen in the future, surely. You know, the, this whole space of digitized assets, whether they actually be fungible, non-fungible, et cetera, um, has to be part of this world of future economics sure. and this world of artificial intelligence, or it's just not going to function correctly. Would that not be correct to say? I think it would be absolutely right. And I think that's been, you know, the question. There was a Google actually had their entire sort of section two and we met some Googlers and we actually were talking about that stuff, so, you know, because Google's entire business model is we're going to organize the world's data. That's their motto. And that's their business model uh, is what do we, and if the data is not theirs anymore and we choose to own our data, then that is direct disruption to big tech. The entire big tech industry functions on the entire premise that the data is easily available and they can do all these things to provide you these new services. And while those mm. services provide convenience, as we have seen, they can do harm as well. And should we choose to, how do we choose to use the data becomes a, certainly an important point that completely disrupt. So right now it's not a B2B disruption, it is a B2C disruption where consumers themselves can disrupt the big tech should they choose to if there's a right regulatory framework and right technologies like this. But ChatGPT is also owned by Big Corp. It's not yeah. exactly. A, so there's, there's a yeah. whole element. And, and I think in that case, I go back to Web3 or go back to the ownership economy and go back to saying that if I tokenize my data and my identity is tokenized, I provide consent. Now I'm creating a real balance between the big tech and an average yes. Nitin, an average Derek. That'll be yes. a really interesting conversation to have at some point uh, and that's the world i aspire to see at some point derek yeah be great it's balance, very exciting this is the this is the great democratization of assets and personal assets you sure. know regardless of location sex age religion uh it's it's not just a hypothetical it is true with things like zero knowledge proof and your ability to be able to validate your transactions etc and and create intellectual sure. property and and deal on it um, this this is absolutely a future, which is exciting. Hey, let's call this part one. So yes. this is this is Davos and our learnings from Davos, your learnings from Davos, part one. Um, let's do this in part two next week, and maybe yep. we'll also bring up some of your um, you know your discussions and decks where you actually did presentations in Davos to you know groups sure. of people, and and we'll walk through those and discuss the challenges that we face. And you know, on this show, we always discuss challenges as things that are just problems that we can overcome ultimately. And how do you do that? So we'll go through some of the challenges of 2022 and we'll look towards what problems might be overcome, but what impacts they had at the time. And, uh, and we'll call that part two in our um, enduring journey towards future favors the informed. Of course. No, I, I love that. And yes, looking forward to part two. And uh, this was a great, I mean, I'm back, great to be back to this podcast again, be doing this and I am like charged up again. I was jet lagged a little bit because I just got back on Sunday, mm. but after this conversation, I'm all charged up. So thank you. Thank you, Derek, for, for bringing me back. And it is again, great to, great to, you know, continue this, this, this uh, chat and looking forward yeah. to the next one too. Terrific. Always great to have you back. And Nitin, um, you're just extraordinary how you can jet around the world and arrive back with a minor amount of jet lag. Like I'm feeling a little tired, but now I'm charged up. Frankly, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Derek. You're too kind. So we'll see you um, next week. Part two of Davos.
Good on you, Nathan. Take Bye care. for now. Bye. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.